our session with our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Showman. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you, sir, to everyone listening. Okay, so recently I thought there was water running in the walls, and then I realized, no, no, that's a sound in my ear. Uh, It seems to have abated, but I'm not the only person who has had COVID who has reported either hearing loss or tinnitus. Is that actually a routine after effect of COVID? Not a routine after effect, but definitely reported. And if you are having it, don't ignore it because there's treatments and medication we can give you that will reduce the risk of the hearing loss becoming permanent or more more hearing loss and or if you're developing tinnitus. Tinnitus, by the way, is just so discomforting. Anyone out there who's had it knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's this constant buzzing, but that just doesn't do it. Whistling, whatever in your ear, and it really gets in the fear and interferes with your daily activities. It can make it very difficult to sleep at night. It really can destroy someone's life. So yes, it can happen with any viral illness, including the virus that causes COVID-19. It is something that we have seen reports of, both hearing loss and uh, tinnitus, but uh, thankfully not as a major symptom. So it does happen from time to time. Don't think you're going nuts if you've developed it. Don't ignore it. Make certain that you're seen by someone, and we'll test to make sure there isn't another cause. But if you do have either hearing loss or tinnitus, there are treatments that we can try to do to minimize the effects and keep these things from becoming permanent for you. And it can actually, I mean, without turning this into my visit with a doctor, but it can be a symptom of all kinds of things, including uh, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, and various other things. Oh, yeah, without question. Tinnitus is just a name for the symptom, the high-pitched or rumbling or whistling sound that you have constantly in your ears, which you notice mainly when you're not doing anything, when you're about to go to sleep at night, right? Because oftentimes other activities or the noise of day-to-day living will mask it. Unfortunately, that doesn't work when you're trying to go to bed. Um, And in some cases, people actually have to turn on the television or the radio um, to drown out the noise of the tinnitus that's keeping them up. But thankfully, extremely um, rare in the setting of COVID-19, but it can happen. It can even happen as a consequence of long COVID. There have been reports in the literature of people who did not have it as part of their actual illness, but developed it secondarily uh, when they went through the throes of long COVID. So please don't ignore it. You're not nuts. If you do have it, we do need to see you, make sure there isn't something else going on. And if it is this, treat it appropriately. One of your topics this morning dovetails very nicely with a column I clipped out of the Globe and Mail, and the headline says it all. My grandkids don't know how to play outside, and it's maddening. Apparently, too much idle time for kids is leading leading to a decline in mental health. The Journal of Pediatrics, a lovely commentary uh, explaining the logic behind why they think that the anxiety and depression, which has reached criminally high levels in our children, may be at least partly, not completely, partly due to the fact that there's no recess to school, the hours of school have increased and the weeks, the amount of homework that kids get has increased and kids aren't spending enough time outdoors or in play that they themselves control. And I think that's the key point. Um, the article reviews the experience in the literature and basically shows that in the before the 50s and the 60s, mainly the 60s and 70s, uh, the 1960s and 70s, um, kids were allowed out. Uh, they would, you know, go on their own to the park, they would play with their friends, they would run around. And many of your listeners, I'm sure, are nodding their heads in agreement with that. Starting in the 60s, for some reason, as we became more and more afraid of, parents started 
hovering over their kids more. So yeah, the kids would go out, but the parents would be with them in the park watching. And the, the study clearly demonstrates how kids do not view it as play when there are parents in the vicinity watching over what they're doing. And play is the key thing. The opportunity to explore, the opportunity to gain confidence in your abilities, the opportunity to take risks within reason and surmount those risks. These are all essential in a child developing their own sense of self-worth and their self-confidence and their ability to problem solve and deal with the issues of life as we go forward. This is one component, at least, uh, in the failure of our children to be able to handle the world that they're living in and all the anxiety and depression that we're seeing. Suicide has become the number two killer of kids, uh, young kids, 10 to 15 years of age in the United States. That is just one beyond scary statistic. Okay, uh, The Last of Us is a television show we watched where people developed a fungal infection and uh, basically became zombies, and apparently that's happening, sort of, in real life. <laughs> um, maybe in your community. No, no, no. I would never <laughs> say that. Um, but, well, what they're trying to do is figure out why does Alzheimer's happen, right? Alzheimer's, the destruction of the brain triggered by certain misshaped, misfolded proteins that seem to accumulate. Why do they accumulate? Well, there are a number of hypotheses. One of them is maybe an infection with a specific fungus, Candida albicans, which can occur from time to time, may play a role in this. So in a mouse model, they looked at how Candida albicans can get into the brain, and it turns out it secretes enzymes, proteins, that not only break down the blood-brain barriers they can sneak in, but also in the process of getting in, stimulate the production of the same amyloid beta proteins that seem to play a role in Alzheimer's disease. So does candida albicans cause Alzheimer's that we're seeing right now? Not in most cases. Could it be contributing? Certainly. Can we see it in certain cases? Without doubt. But maybe if we can understand what the process is from this mouse model, we can come up with a much more effective therapy, because we have nothing really right now, to treat the disease or halt its progression. So I think that's where the importance. I don't think you have to worry about most of the population of Canada becoming zombies, at least from a fungus. Okay. And I asked my doctor some time ago, um, whenever a doctor asks you, how much do you drink? And I said, is it true you multiply that by like two? And he said, no, by five. Uh, but <laughs> <Yep>. are, <laughs> which, if you're an honest person, <laughs> it can be a, it's a little it's like a Van Halen. <laughs> okay. But certainly, yeah. So doctors are being asked to screen for alcohol use. Without question. So this is built on work that came out of British Columbia in 2019. A panel was put together um, to look at how do we screen, how do we treat, how do we diagnose alcohol use disorder. And it turns out, one, we do a very bad job of screening for it as physicians. Two, we recommend the wrong medications. And so most of us are really not up to date. And so this review in the Canadian Medical Association Journal basically put this report into perspective. Lovely report. A lot of work went into, go, went into producing it. And it will give us as physicians the tools to understand what alcohol use disorder is, how to screen for it. It only takes a few questions in a few seconds. How to treat it effectively. And I think that's the biggest uh, uh, revelation. Most of us would have prescribed medications that are actually inappropriate and wrong. And I think that's the really, uh, for me at least, the most important thing. I will often ask people about their alcohol use because of what I do, right? I work in an emergency room, so it becomes relevant often. Sure. 
terms of managing them, I did not realize that a lot of the drugs that I thought were to be used in management are actually wrong. And I think that was the big revelation in this review article in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. A tremendous, a tremendous benefit for those of us who practice medicine. And we, I think it'll make a big difference in terms of how we manage. It turns out there's a significant number of our fellow Canadians who actually have problems with alcohol and may not realize it. And so this is an opportunity to help them. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to next week. Take That's care. That's our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Schulman.